turn in your Bibles, the written word, Luke chapter 8. Let's look in the written word to learn more about the living word, Jesus Christ. In the sermon that I'm going to entitle today, no matter the facts, I'm all in. No matter the facts, I'm all in. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that they are alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And they have a way of piercing down into our hearts to judge the motives and intents of our will. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because you're about to lead us into truth. And not only will you provide the revelation and the illumination that we need to discover the ways of God and the will of God, but you will also give us the desire and the ability to live the truth out in life. Because, Lord God, you not only want us to hear this word, you want us to do it. And Lord, today what I'm preaching is going to be different for some of us. But I pray, Lord, that we would let you have your way. Help us to grow. None of us have arrived. None of us knows everything about the Bible or the kingdom of God. There is still room for improvement in all of us. So Holy Spirit, the one we began this worship serving asking to fall fresh on us. Do it now through the word and through this preaching. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to thank Brother Kevin here for coming to play for us today. Praise God for this brother. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned. He had just come across the Sea of Galilee after having gone to the other side of it to minister to a man who was possessed with a legion of demons. He took a long trip just to help one person and to set him free. And as it has been said, if only one person were on the earth, so to speak. Jesus would have come all the way down from heaven to save that person through his death on the cross. So Jesus went all the way over on that other side. He, he delivered a man who had terrorized the community. But Jesus was such a healer and a deliverer that the people didn't know what to do, and they said, you've got to leave our region. And so he gets in the boat with the disciples they come back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Jewish side. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him. So one group didn't want him there. Another group was glad that he was back, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So Jairus 
had a problem. Now, not only did he have a problem, we learn a little bit about him from the text, and that is he had power. He was a ruler of a synagogue. He was a man who had power, but still had a problem. And being the ruler over a synagogue, he had prominence, which meant that he had esteem in the eyes of the people. He had prestige, and he also had wealth. So to lead a synagogue, to be a ruler of a synagogue, meant that you had power, you had prestige, you had prominence, you had wealth. But he had all of that, but he still had a problem. And with all of the money that he had, it still could not fix nor solve the problem that he had. You see, when your children are hurting, that's a real pain. And as a parent, you can fix a lot of things with a little kiss on the boo-boo. You know, you fall down and scrape the elbow and you kiss it and, and, and the kid feels better. And, and there are a lot of things as a parent you can do to help your child. But when you are helpless because your child is in a predicament that as a parent, you can't do anything about it. Jairus had all the money, but money couldn't fix this one. He had education, but education couldn't fix this one. He, he was prominent in the community, but his prominence couldn't fix this one. He was a Jewish man. And synagogues were places where Jesus, for the most part, was not accepted nor embraced. But yet this synagogue ruler recognized that if anybody's going to fix this problem, I heard about this man named Jesus who's breaking the traditions of the elders. I heard about this man named Jesus who is able to heal people of their diseases. I heard about this man named Jesus so much so that it gave Jairus hope. When you hear about Jesus, you have hope. And so he goes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and he doesn't care what his friends might say. He's got a problem. And he feels that only the Lord can solve it. He doesn't care how this may look in terms of being associated with this Jewish upstart that didn't come through all of the rabbinical schools that all the other rabbis came through. That, that he didn't care about aligning with this one that many of the Jews called a Samaritan and someone who was possessed with a demon, that he was casting out demons by the hand of Beelzebub. He didn't care what the crowds had to say because his baby girl was dying. There comes a time where you got to stop worrying about what other people are going to think and get close to Jesus. You just got to get, because man can't do for you what only Jesus can do for you. And sometimes he will allow life to bring you to a point where life will bring you to your knees so that you will fall to your literal knees in the presence of God. And so this man comes and he falls on his knees and not only that, he begs Jesus for help. He moves outside of nice little pity pat prayers and he says, Lord, I got a problem and my daughter is dying. I need your help. And I love how the Lord said, I'll help you. And Jesus followed this man to his house. You know, this week as I was looking at this passage, I realized that many people, they don't know where to turn. And I'm learning that when you don't know where else to go, 
Try going to the feet of Jesus. Go to his feet. There's healing there. There's hope there. There's power there. There's life there. There's serenity there. He went to the feet of Christ, and Christ basically, we don't see it verbatim played out, but Christ would eventually tell this man to get up because I'm going to come see about this situation. He came. He humbled himself. He got on his knees, a posture of prayer, and he begged the Lord, speaking of how broken he was and how much in need he was. Oh, I hope that you're not too proud to go before the Lord and just cry out before him. You tried to fix this, but it hadn't fixed yet. It hadn't worked out yet. Can I encourage you not only to get at the feet of Christ, Christians, but to stay there? You know, whenever you read about Mary in the Bible, she's always at the feet of Jesus. That's not a bad place to be. When life just is heavy on your shoulders, God many times is using that to make us bow down. And he gives grace to the humble. This little girl, 12 years of age, she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. People needed Jesus. Other people needed Jesus. Now, this is one of the blessings of why Jesus had to go away. Because for Jesus, had he stayed in the body, and he told the disciples, it's better for me that I go away. Because he was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh so that the spirit of Christ could be with them and in them and operate through them. But when he walked the earth as a man, he was in one place at one time. So as Jairus had a need and he went to the one who could meet his need and he's leading Jesus to his house, Jesus gets thronged by the people. Now, I won't be able to read the next few verses, but there's a woman with an issue of blood. Who, who has a need too. And when she gets a hold of Christ, everybody's touching him, but when she touches him, something about her touch stops him in his tracks. And he says, who touched me? Peter's like, Lord, all these people around you, what do you mean? Well, her touch was different from everybody else's touch because power went out of me because she was desperate for a blessing. And so power, virtue went out of Christ. And, and so, so the movement to Jairus' house stopped because Jesus ministered to this woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. Some of us have been in some stuff for a long time. And we think that God has forgotten about us. No, 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 he hasn't forgotten. He has a timetable that's a little bit different than ours. Just know that he knows. He's coming, he's on his way, but he gets stopped and that slows him down as far as trying to get to Jairus' house. So in verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. So we see here a negative word. Again, Jairus is like, I need Jesus in my house. But the woman with the issue of blood said, I need him right here on the road. And so we can't have this thing where when I need Jesus, he's still over at your house. You might be like, man, I need Jesus. He stay at the Williamson's house just working stuff out constantly. But again, I'm so glad he's everywhere. He's with us all. He's in our homes. He's in our lives for those of us who know him. And he'll never leave us and he won't forsake us. But in his earthly ministry... He could only be at one place at one time. And, and before he could get to Jairus' house, bad news came to them on the way. 
And the negative word, the bad report said that, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Now, if I'm going to break this down, let me tell you that this report was both factual and opinionated. It was factual because Jairus' daughter had died. That was a fact. So someone said, someone from Jairus' house, a trusted official, no doubt, who is in the house, who understands what's going on, his daughter dies, Jairus' daughter dies from when he leaves to go and get Jesus and before he can get Jesus back to the house, she's dead. So he sends a word and it's a fact, but this fact produced fear in Jairus. Hi-ya-ya. The fact produced fear because Jesus is going to speak to that in the next verse. So when we get that phone call and it's bad news, when we get that letter, that email, that text, and it's bad news, or it's news that hurts, it can produce, and many times it produces fear in us as it did in Jairus, and it reminds us of our human limitations. Jairus already knew he couldn't fix this thing. Now he's being told that his daughter is dead, so he's afraid, and fear is a spirit. And it's a spirit that leads to bondage. And it's a spirit that seeks to rob you of what God has for you. Fear is a spirit that wants to rob you. Because you cannot be full of faith, which is what we all are called to be full of. And be full of fear at the same time. Fear wants to dominate our lives. When we're full of fear, when we're fearful, how can we walk by faith? How can we trust God when we are fearful or full of fear? I can't be full of both of them. One will dominate the other. And as we're going to see in a moment, Jesus is going to tell Jairus, don't let fear dominate you. You dominate it. Fear focuses on the facts. She was dead. It's a fact. It's true. But a fact may be true, but that doesn't necessarily mean a fact is the truth. It's true, but is it the truth? You see, a fear is going to focus on facts, and facts will focus on the natural realm. Strong Tower, let, let, let's go here. It's going to focus on what is seen, what can be added up, what makes sense. That's what facts focus on. They, they, they focus on the fact that they're giants in their promised land. And they're taller than all of us. Yeah, it's a fact. But what's the truth? There's a promise from God to go in and defeat those giants. If you just stay with the facts, you won't move. It's a fact. Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. And he was a warrior from birth, it seems. But there was a shepherd boy. Yeah, he saw the facts, but he saw Jehovah. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Let's stop making this about us and let's make it about who it's always about. It's about God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Instead of looking at how big Goliath is, man, I'm going to look at how big my God is. And a teenager went out and a child shall lead the nation. And Saul, who should have went because he was a head and shoulder taller than everybody, he qualified in the flesh. He didn't go. But the true king went. But then also facts will tell us that Lazarus is dead. He's dead. Matter of fact, he's been in the grave so long, he stinketh. It's the facts. But the Lord is here. So the facts come. She's dead. But not only did the facts come, an opinion came. And that is, do not trouble the teacher. You should have just told me the facts. Your daughter's dead. But you had to throw in your opinion. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Because what you're saying, messenger, is that I wouldn't trouble him, so why should you? That's why we got to watch who we allow to speak into our lives. Don't trouble the teacher anymore because he might can help with sickness, but I don't believe he can do anything about death. Don't trouble him anymore. It's a fact she's dead. My opinion is don't even bother Jesus with this because your marriage is dead. Your finances are dead, man. I'm looking at this. Oh, man, I don't know how you're going to come out of that. Your business is dead. And you got these someones in your life, and they've got opinions based on the facts. And sometimes the facts aren't even true. And they're talking, they're talking, they're talking. Your relationship with your daughter is dead. You see what she's doing? She got locked up again. Your church is dead. Your school is dead. People got all kinds of opinions about your life. And so it pushed defeat onto Jairus. Maybe I should give up because someone from my house said, give up. But it also interpreted God for Jairus. Someone said, she's dead, fact. Opinion, don't bother Jesus anymore. Meaning that that someone's theology says God don't want to be bothered with your problem. So if you listen to some people interpret God for you, you might get into some trouble and miss what God has for you. That's why you got to test the spirits and you test spirits with the word of the spirit. And that's why we got to go line upon line, precept upon precept around here. Because there will always be someone in your life that speaks a negative word to you that's full of facts and opinions. But don't allow their voice to have authority over the voice of God. Because had this thing been left right here, Jairus would have been a hopeless man. A depressed man, a discouraged man, a defeated man. But it didn't stop right there with that negative word. Oh, I got to read verse 50. Where it says, but <laughs> negative word comes out. And it's full of fact and opinion. But when Jesus heard it. Are y'all praying with me today? When Jesus, heard, I'm so glad Jesus was there to hear that. Because he is about to take that thought captive and make it obedient. Yes. 
When they tell you in school that your child can't learn, take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. When they tell you this or they tell you that, you got to take it obedient. And not only when they tell you, but when your flesh tells you things. You can't make it. You can't do it. You'll never succeed. You'll never turn this thing around. You won't lose the weight. You won't get out of debt. You won't get that job. They won't accept you. Take it captive in Jesus' name. Because it's coming all the time. It's coming from every direction around you, in you. But Jesus was there, and he intercepted that thing. He saw it coming. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I got to intercept that negative word with a good word, with a positive word. That word came from man. Now we need a word from God. You just heard from man. But as Isaiah 53 says, Lord, uh, who's going to believe our report? So whose report, when you're going through are you going to believe? The doctors have an opinion, and many times it's based on facts and science and biology and medicine, but we can't leave it just in the realm of fact. We also have a God of promises. So we got to understand, okay, Lord, how do we intercept this thing? And Jesus said, um, look, look, let me step in here immediately because I don't want Jairus to be shook by this. So he steps in and he answers this thing Immediately, And he says to Jairus, and he's saying to you, Strong Talk, do not be afraid. You heard something that was going to make you afraid, but I'm here to tell you, do not be afraid. When you get those negative thoughts late in the midnight hour, and somebody has suicidal thoughts, or I'm going to leave my family thoughts, or I'm going to give up thoughts, the Holy Spirit is there if you listen, if you've been feeding him with something in the well for him to pull up in times like that to say, uh-uh, no, uh, uh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. So Jesus tells him, do not be afraid. Number two, only believe and she will be made well. You heard what they said. Now hear what I said. I'm here to tell you, do not be afraid. Only believe she will be made well. So let's break this down. When he says to him, do not be afraid, Jairus, do not be afraid. Chris, do not be afraid. Dorina, do not be afraid. Jewel, do not be afraid. Thomas, do not be afraid. Larry, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is a negative aorist imperative. What that means is this is a command to stop doing something you were doing. This is a command to stop an action that has already been going on. Arist is point action. Uh, imperative means command. Negative means stop. Stop doing this. Stop being afraid when you hear the negative report. When you hear the facts. And then when you hear folks' opinions. Do not be afraid. Jesus said right now, negative, arist, imperative, do not believe it. Jesus commanded Jairus to not be afraid any longer. Oh, to not be afraid. Fear not. It's been said that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, one for each day. What is Jesus telling you to not be afraid of? Hmm? What's that mountain of fear and doubt that keeps coming at you every day? that is robbing you of your joy and your peace in the Lord. And Jesus wants nothing having authority over you except for him. And he wants you to take authority over that thing 
And he's saying, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid. It's an order. Now, I love Jairus because he came to Jesus because he had faith. Faith got him there in the first place. My daughter is dying. I got faith to believe Jesus can heal her. So he gets up and he goes. Because if it don't move, it ain't faith. Yeah, we, we should talk and I'll hit that in a moment. But we got to act on what we believe. He believed Jesus could do it, so he went to Jesus. That's faith. But then while he's there, his situation goes from bad to worse. Because he has faith to believe Jesus can heal a sick daughter. But now his faith has got to believe Jesus can heal a dead daughter. You ever been in something that's bad and it gets worse? You ever have your washing machine break and on the same day your car go down? It was already bad. Then it gets worse. Jesus is still there. He did not leave Jairus. He did not forsake Jairus. He was still with him. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He's still with you. Because here it is. Facts are to be faced, not feared. It's a fact she's dead. Face it, but don't be afraid. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. Without weakening in his faith, this is speaking of Abraham, 100 years old, he faced the fact. He didn't deny it. He didn't try to, you know, skirt it to the side. He didn't deflect it. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. In other words, jacked up. Since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. So there's the fact, but then there's the promise. You're going to have a boy. Now, I know I told you 25 years ago, but you, I, I am going to fulfill my promise. Now, somewhere in the middle of that, he couldn't wait on the Lord, and he took matters into his own hand called Hagar, and we're still paying for that today. But he's still considered a man of faith, the father of faith, because grace superbounds over Abraham's sin just like it does with us. And so Abraham had this promise. And the Bible says that he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. How do you get strengthened in your faith? Recite the promise to yourself. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There are many precious promises in the word. So we get strengthened in faith when we meditate on the faith, when we, when we memorize the word, when we recite the word, when we get in the word. He had to keep replaying that. Old, and he didn't have a Bible back then. All he had was what God said to him. So he got strengthened in his faith through the word and he gave glory to God. Meaning that his attitude dictated his, his altitude. I'm going to keep giving God glory in this test. But many times when we go through a test, we're not joyful. We're gloom full of gloom. His attitude, his attitude was still positive and being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. God is able to do just what he said he would do. He faced the fact. It's real. But God gave me a promise. The fact is my daughter is dead, but Jesus said, I will come to heal her. Do not be afraid. Secondly, only believe. 
believe. And, and when he speaks this, this is in the aorist imperative. And this is a positive call to a specific and definitive decision. Believe right now. Believe right now. And I'm going to stop this message and I'm going to pick this up next week. I'm going to keep preaching through this passage for the next several weeks because there are great things in it. But somebody needs today to only believe. If you're an evangelical and a conservative one like me, you grew up being given a lot of facts and data. And yes, we should know the Bible and we should know systematic uh, theology and all of that. We should read good books about the word and all of that is necessary. But knowledge doesn't always get you through a situation or a circumstance. Because a lot of us know a lot about God, but we don't act on the lot that we know. Whereas somebody that may not know a lot acts on what they know and God does great things in their life. Many times knowledge will puff us up and we begin to think that we know how God is going to do stuff. And the childlike aspect of our faith gets lost because we become so mature with knowledge. Then God throws you a monkey wrench and you don't even know how to handle this trial. And he's trying to take you back to believing in him. And not trying to always figure him out. He will put something on you. He will allow it to come so that you can get back to believing and letting God be a wonder in your life again. Because you go through stuff you can't even figure out where it came from, what's going on. And he wants you not in that time to figure him out or to try to figure it out. He just wants you to believe. Like we sang today that I am in control. I got this. Jesus commanded that man, make up your mind and believe. No doubting. Because when you're doubting, you're like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed around. Don't let a doubter think he'll get anything from God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Believe, believe. Believing is important because whatever we believe is what we will speak. This is where I was trying to get to, and I'm going to pick this up next week. Because if you believe death, you're going to speak death. If you believe life, you're going to speak life. Doesn't mean that death doesn't happen. But we know the resurrection and the life and death may happen, but death doesn't have the last word. I don't care what we're going through. And the Lord is calling all of us to have more belief in our mouths. Because what you believe is what you're going to speak. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And a lot of times we're speaking death when people speak death to us about our situation, our circumstances, or our lives. I got a friend right now who's doing a life sentence. And whenever I talk to him, and he served uh, 10 years already, and he believes, every time I talk to him, he speaks with his mouth, I'm getting out, and I'm getting out this year. There's some things that were done wrong with my case, and man, I'm getting out this year. And when he talks to me, I'm so ashamed because I don't have the kind of faith in my mouth that this man behind bars has. Now, I'm not talking about trying to manipulate God. That's a whole other thing. I had another friend who had a real bad cold. Snot was running out of his nose. And he's steady telling me he doesn't have a cold. Now, that's not what we're talking about. I ain't got no cold. You got a boogie in your nose. 
Got to have balance in this. Because whatever you believe is what you're going to speak. Many of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters have gone a little too far into creating their worlds. And many of us who are conservative, we need to get it going and we need to start talking positive and not just speaking negative. Some of us go to the hospital and there's a sickness and many conservatives are already calling the funeral home. It's like, wait a minute, hold on, man, hold on, no, don't call them so quick now. It's better to be with the Lord, brother. Hold on, hold on, man. <laughs> to live is Christ. I... In his new book, Watch Your Mouth, Dr. Tony Evans writes, what you believe determines what you say. God's word must be more than just heard. It must be believed and spoken. The word is God's authoritative revelation, which contains the power to move mountains. So when Jesus would tell his disciples, speak to this mountain, the way I curse this fig tree, you can speak to it as well. He was moving out of the realm of just cognitive reality in a relationship with God through facts. He's entering into a spiritual reality of speaking the truth. That's where he's taking us. Because we're in a day now, we've got mountains in our lives, and it's like, man, we got to stop going around them, and we can't get around them, we can't get under them, we can't get over them. And Jesus is like, when are you going to speak to that and cast it into the sea? When are you going to start talking like the overcomer that you are? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of talking negative and doom and gloom. Oh, but I love Jesus. Man, put some faith in your mouth. Put some belief in your mouth. Oh, Pastor Chris is going overboard. Maybe so. I remember when the Olympics were on. This is why I'm going overboard. I remember it was coming to the culmination of the gymnastics. And this was all the girls were going to be competing. And we were believing we were going to get X amount of medals. And so it was going to come on later that night at 10 o'clock. We're ready to watch Simone and all the girls do their thing. But we found out before it came on television that the U.S. team had won and swept because there's a time difference. So through Twitter, the word got out from Brazil about the win before we could watch it on television that the girls had won the gold. So when we got the news, we were like, oh, man, we kind of wanted to find out in time. Chase, why'd you get on Twitter to find the answer? But when we watched it, no matter how much they stumbled, no matter how, how much, we knew <laughs> they won. We watching and they playing it out on the balance beam and all that. Why'd I do this? This don't look right. Uh, uh, uh. We knew they had won before we watched them perform. And I have won because of Jesus Christ. And no matter what I go through, I may stumble, I may trip, but I've won. And it's time for me to start being cool like somebody who's a winner. And I'm going to speak that out of my mouth, that he is able to do everything he's promised for me to do. Amen, amen. Everybody, just stand to your feet. Let's go on. Let's get on up out of here. I was going to have some prayer today. We're going to have it next week. We're going to marinate. We're going to take our time. We're going to be in this passage for a minute because there's some good stuff, y'all, in this. Oh, my. 
Jesus does some stuff in this passage right here. I'm blown away by him. I love him. He's a wonder. We're just going, going, man, there's so much meat on that bone. We're just going every week. I'm all in. Let's pray. Grab somebody's hand next to you. My God. Lord, the first thing I want to say is forgive me. As much as I don't like to admit it, I've put you in a box. I haven't figured you out. My little bit of learning reminds me that I don't even have a a pinhead of knowledge. John tells us that all the works that Jesus did, if they were written down, the world could not even contain the books. You are so much bigger than our comprehension of you. But we're going to act on what little bit we can. And today we saw you intercept a negative word with a positive word. And today, Lord, for your people, may they not be afraid of what they've heard. May they believe. When we get back next week, Lord, we're going to look at how you said to Jairus before it even happened, she's going to be all right. And God, you're speaking to us right now. It's going to be all right. No matter what happens, you're a winner. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Lord, let us start walking like that. I put my head up, my back straight. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do it. Ah, yeah. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Let your people get in this word. Let them digest this word. Speak to them, Lord. Thank you for how you're positioning this church to make a difference in these last days. We say, come, come, Lord Jesus. But until you come, we're going to enjoy your blessings and your opportunities. And we're going to walk like Satan is crushed underneath our feet. We're going to walk and believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. For any and everyone who believes, help our nation. But Lord, first, we know judgment starts with the church. Help your church to deal with the poverty issue and the race issue, the gender issue. Help us, Lord, to deal with politics without being political. Help us to be the salt and light that Joe talked about. And when you do miracles, we're not going to be surprised. We are not going to be surprised. We're going to bless you. Matter of fact, we're going to bless you before the miracles are done. For that person that needs that job, we praise you right now in advance before the job comes. Because oh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. You're going to, it's done. We're just waiting for it to be manifested. know there's a single person out here Lord you put it in their heart to be married they haven't seen the manifestation of it yet may they not grow weary no more than Abraham did yeah he struggled but Lord he he got his stuff together and he trusted you give strength to those who are weak today thank you Lord now unto him who is still able still able to do exceedingly abundantly he's still able the God we sang about unchangeable and unstoppable he's still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask he's just looking for somebody with some faith 
Stop by here, Lord. Stop by here. We believe you. Raise the dead up in here, Jesus. Change your heart in here, Jesus. Regulate a mind, Jesus. We will give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen, amen. Come on, give him one more. Give him one more.